Live from Boulder, Colorado, it's Dr. Zen and the greatest of all sinners. I'm Ray Gustinelli, your host. My brother Paul is Dr. Zen, and Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon is the greatest of all sinners. Great friends all. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This is a podcast where two men of great faith and even greater doubt engage in discussion about current events, culture, sports, science, history. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. So we begin our podcast uh, from our basement studio here and uh, posing some questions to you guys and reflecting upon uh, the weeks that we've had. Uh, Jeff, uh, how's, how's your week been? What are your thoughts? It's, it's been more than a week and I missed you guys. It has been. Uh, but so um, one thing I wanted to hit you with is that I went to the best concert I've ever been to. I just had a blast. So I went to the Eagles of Death Metal concert, mm-hmm. one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. Um, and I, it's, it's at the Ogden on Colfax in Denver. And so after the show, I'm just walking the streets of, of Denver, walking home, just having an absolute blast. Um, I, I, I felt possessed. It's so late at night and that sort of thing. There's like this street sweeper coming up. The, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's like a, a mean streets of New York sort of thing. And I kind of wave at him. He gave me two honks. It's like, you know, the middle of the night. It's just it's kind of a magical night. And great band, great concert. Um, and then I did also want to riff on the fact that uh, you guys are maybe not as familiar with the Bible as I am. And the Bible is very clear that there's a special hell for tall guys who won't take their hats off at a concert. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, concerts for you guys. Greatest, bestest, mostest. I'm going to go with uh, Bjork at Red Rocks a few years back. Crazy. You know, they're walking out of the concert. It wasn't the street sweeper. It was whale song in my ears. (laughs) (laughs) Probably still resonating. (laughs) Those whales are not leaving ever. I think that's tinnitus, but um, it could be most. Well, we're old enough to get that. And I'm going to date ourselves even further by picking as my favorite concert um, an early 1980s era REM concert that I saw at the Agora Ballroom outside Hartford. It was marvelous. It was uh, their tour in support of the Murmur album, which is the first one that really busted them out with some of those. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Michael Stipe had a full head of hair, uh, curly hair down to his shoulders, hardly said anything under, other than the mumbling, which were the lyrics of the, the songs themselves. I believe you walked out on stage with a crown of thorns on his head. I, that, you know, if I recall, that was true. Yeah, because you were there as well at that concert. Which is, that's a coincidence, because I'm wearing a crown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that what's under that, that hat, <laughs> Mr. Tall Guy? Everyday accoutrements. Snappy hat. <laughs> So the other thing that I wanted to share with you guys, happy day. I've got something to share with you guys. My wife needs to be gluten-free. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an allergy thing. Uh, not that so I can't even really mock it, although I will right now. <laughs> uh, so I'll never drink a beer again. Uh, that doesn't taste like I'm drinking out of a hoof print, a little puddle in there. Uh, I'll never eat bread again. It doesn't taste like it was baked by Udi's for an orphanage in a Dickens novel. I'll never be able to use my Presto Fry Daddy for anything worthy of a Presto Fry Daddy. And my orders at any restaurant will forever be mixed and messed up as the cognitive dissonance created by my lovely bride's magnificently convoluted order turns my server in the cook's mind to cold, runny oatmeal. Ouch. <laughs> Black gluten-free oatmeal. Oh, my, my. Yeah, so our, our desserts will forever taste like uh, disappointment. 
and regret. Excuse me, sir, may I have some more bread that tastes better? <laughs> Oliver, it's, it was Oliver, the new Oliver for the 21st century. Didn't we have Dickens? We had a Dickens. But... <laughs> well, my wife is... You, do you have a gluten-free I, confessional, Ray Augustine? I guess my confessional is that my wife is also gluten-free, and I will say that I live in the very gluten-free, friendly city of Boulder, Colorado, where every restaurant, if they do not specifically have a gluten-free menu, are very accommodating to those who have allergies or sensitivities. So uh, I guess my confession is that it's not so much the fact that, you know, my wife does have to order gluten-free and that we're preparing gluten-free at home all the time, but it's that um, there is this interrogation process that has to happen every time we go out to a, a restaurant, even if it's one that she's already qualified every element on the menu is being gluten-free. And if it's quite clearly marked as being gluten-free, there's still this interrogation process that, <laughs> that occurs between the wife and the waiter uh, where she has to probe every single ingredient. Everything shy of actually getting up and walking back into the kitchen and expecting <laughs> it's the, coming. the That's fry coming. oil and yeah. stuff like that. And so there's a certain agony associated with going through that uh, that process even as a, uh, as a witness. <laughs> Fun story about how it changes your brain. We're at Shelby's Bar down in Denver, which was I think Esquire ranked at one of the top 18 bars in the United States of America or mm -hmm. something and it was a blast and there was a moment where my wife asks and, and the woman says oh well you know our cook has is uh, has a celiac uh, allergy mm -hmm. my wife was like oh good <laughs> now I understand that it's important for her to know that people are going to stand her but, but to be gleeful about right. some horrible allergy to someone else yes. she practically gave it the fist bump <laughs> yes. because if the cook has gluten free allergy you're going to be golden right, right. we're twisted into these sort of emotional pretzels that we don't even realize. Well, hey, let's talk about political conventions. Not because we have to, but because we have to. Have to. <laughs> <laughs> it is the season, so we've recently concluded two weeks of either a revelatory set of speeches that reveal our two presidential candidates and their parties, or hour after hour of tedious political theater, unlikely to sway voters one way or the other. What's your take and what will political conventions look like years from now? <laughs> Dr. Zen? Hard to watch this year, the pomp and circumstance just kind of off the charts. Um, I think in 10 years, we're going to be full on Wizard of Oz with these events. It's going to be, you're going to have a four dimensional holographic avatar up there on stage wow. that's going to be algorithmically determined what they say to match all of the high policy points. And everybody's going to know that the real man or woman behind the curtain is the one that ultimately is going to have the power, but we're just going to go and groove to the, to the wizard, uh, the wizard hologram for the whole thing. Wow. That's, I'm, I'm in, in a twisted way, I'm sort of looking forward to that. <laughs> I think it might be quite entertaining in some ways to see the, these sort of like virtual holograms spouting like in, entertainingly scripted material. We may not have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> it so often happens in our podcast, um, Dr. Zan Paul Gustinelli is just really wrong about that. <laughs> and I'd like to share the, the true vision of what political conventions will look like in 10 years. We will all be uh, we'll all be shivering and huddling around our radios and campfires in the smoking crater that was the United States. No, no, no. There are going to be big media events more than there are big media events now. There are going to be stars appearing like on video, like for the Oscars. Far more music, comedians doing bits, performances, uh, more video pieces. They'll be far shorter and far more telegenic. 
um, all the delicate stuff that used to be the business end of these conventions, the real reason they're there, will be done in the first 10 minutes if they appear at all. So it'll all be rock concerts and slickly produced videos and live theater and, and, and nothing but uh, bread and circus. I want my convention TV. <laughs> will it will I mean, the, the common theme, even though you guys disagree in sort of the form, I mean, or the, the content of what these things may look like, the, the common theme is that they are, the, there will continue to be even more political theater whose entertainment value trumps its substance. Is, is that fair to say? That's the case. Yeah. Well summarized. Hard to disagree. Gentrification watch. <laughs> So Google, amongst other Beck Bay Area tech companies, infamously runs a shuttle from downtown San Francisco to its campus in the Valley, making it easier for its moneyed employees to displace less moneyed natives in the competitive San Francisco housing market. So this week's hypothetical for you guys, your homeless man on the streets of San Francisco, the fancy Google shuttle drives by. What, if anything, do you throw at it? Greatest of all sinners. As a homeless man in San Francisco, I probably chuck my Palm Pilot Palm Pilot. Yeah, um, but if I really want to do some damage, there's nothing better to throw in the history of the world when you're angry uh, than a 38-ounce can of Dinty Moore beef stew. <laughs> you, you, it sounds like you're speaking from experience. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Dr. Zen. But if you were to throw a 38-ounce can of Dinty Moore beef stew at a windshield, I can imagine it would bust it all up. I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. That's, That's why it's hypothetical. As a newly homeless man in San Francisco, I'm going to throw my my now recently worthless handful of Yahoo stock. <laughs> Symbolic. Symbi- yes, unlikely to do as much damage as the can of Dinty Moore. I guarantee yes. you. Symbolically powerful in yeah. lots of different ways. Oh yeah, you clip some bearded hipster with a 38 ounce can of Dinty Moore. He'll know what happened if you toss Yahoo stock his way. More of an ego hit. That's a kind of a, yeah. that's a doctor's end thing. More, more of a statement. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, well, hey, Pokemon Go is all the rage. Um, it's an app that encourages kids to get out from behind their living room, gaming systems, and go exploring in the real world as they chase down virtual creatures or pocket monsters. That's where the name Pokemon comes from uh, that appear on their smartphones. So is all this truly as socially conscious as the Pokey overlords would like us to believe? <laughs> or is there some sort of devious angle to this? Dr. Zen? Pokey overlords. I like that. Um, I think as is often the case, some of the most disturbing elements of our culture are hiding behind warm and fuzzy pastel cartoons. And in this case, it's this weird gamification of one's life where everything is virtual, everything has a point value to it, and within this kind of structure where you're not interacting with real people, you're interacting with the virtual environment, and you're getting something in the way of some kind of virtual currency or points or scores or what? I mean, a slap on the back from somebody on the other... I don't even know what you get out of these things. <laughs> but um, to, to, to turn it into a, a game uh, seems just awful and uh, is a place where we don't want to go. I've got a haiku that came to me Ooh, about this subject. Mm-hmm. Wow. And here it is. I love you, smartphone. Augmented reality. Now get back in my pocket. Wow. Ooh. Wow. I don't know what to do with that. Is that brilliant or just absolute gibberish? 
I think uh, like the best of haiku, it's both. Ooh. I would answer you, but I've run out of syllables. Uh, <laughs> the polka lords, as they've given us, it's certainly brilliant. And, and I'll echo some of what uh, Dr. Zen said, and that is, is that um, I don't know about the socially conscious part of it. It's certainly trying to wrap up. I, I joke about this all the time. It's one of the strangest uh, commentary in the history of the world, the, the, the Pokemon film, the original Pokemon film, which I'm sure you guys own. But I had children at that time, so I watched it. And it's where the Pokemon spend two hours kicking each other's asses, <laughs> just beating each other to death. And then at the end, for about 30 seconds, they all join hands and say, hey guys, <laughs> you know what, man? Violence is not the answer. <laughs> so is it a brilliant message? Is it a message that's important? Certainly. Is that the message you got from the movie? I don't know. Is this the message we're getting from the app? I don't know. It's it's brilliant and devious. It's only a matter of time before some app designer or hacker uh, makes your makes your ex-girlfriend's house the place where people think they can finally catch a Mewtwo. <laughs> like a sort of a relatively benign swatting, as it were. By the way, I understand that outside the Pieter Place Studios is the only place in the world that you can catch Ditto. <laughs> True story. True story. You'll find that out. So, is Ditto one of the Pokemon? Dude, come on. <laughs> I, I don't know them by name. I'm sorry. Legendary Pokemon. Pikachu? Is that one of them? <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a minor one. You know, I'm oh. troubled mainly by... You, you look at the result of this. Look at pictures of what people look like. It's trouble to people, see the zombification of people by this kind of technology. Walking, shuffling around like the Eloi being herded by the Morlocks oh, and H.G. Wells. What an image. Time, Time machine, baby. <laughs> so creepy, you know, go to a party and event. Go to a, a sporting event and look around and we're evolving into a different creature with our heads down instead of up. We're no longer an upright hominid. And, and so, you know, <laughs> it, that changes. Devolution, huh? <laughs> it changes as we have as we have the augmentation of our eyes and heads-up displays and all this and that. So I hate to be the, the dude yelling to get off my lawn because that's kind of my role, but it's it's a little bit terrifying to me. I don't see it. At least they're not sitting on the couch. That's but that's now what I was stumbling in front of buses I, with their smartphones. <laughs> I was going to say, just to play the devil's advocate or the pokey overlord's advocate, you know, really, that's the the question. Isn't so much as to whether this is in an absolute sense a terrible thing. Is it not? Well, if the alternative is, is that these kids or adults are sitting around vegging out couch potatoing to get them out in the world, which seems to be succeeding, by the way, and people are actually moving out there, you know, as long as they're not being run over by buses, you know, is, isn't it a better outcome? It may not be the best outcome, but is, isn't it actually a, it, it might be. a, a I mean, brilliant I, innovation? I wish I'd had this research into this, but it, didn't we just find out that more people were killed by selfies than sharks last year? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that may be a topic for our next show. Has a Snapchat been weaponized? <laughs> well, hey, let's move on because we're going to run out of time here. They kick us out of the basement after 27 minutes. Um, so recent surveys probed Americans' views on three forms of human enhancement. Gene editing to protect babies from disease, brain chips to enhance cognitive ability, and blood transfusions to enhance physical performance. Now, the survey showed that people are deeply suspicious and cautious about these practices. I'd like you guys to give us a view on all this from the perspective of Jesus first and then from Buddha's perspective. 
You know, I think that one of the things that Christianity has always been cast in an anti-scientific light, and much of Christianity has been anti-scientific, um, and, and in some ways anti-progress, and yet uh, so many, you know, it's like, you know, Mendel gave us, uh, Mendel started this thing, and he's a Christian monk, essentially, and I don't think that's oversimplification, but nevertheless, I think that any time you pull someone who's hurt out of the gutter like a good Samaritan, you're potentially subverting God's will, but aren't you doing the right thing? Aren't you doing something kind mm. and good? And the moment you start doing something that would be more intervention-related than just merely helping a brother or sister that's hurt, I think that you are, you are playing God in some way, and I think mm. that we're supposed to. Um, I think that the thing that troubles us more than all of this, and is a really important uh, discussion to have that we don't have a lot of discussion in is, is that, you know, scientists are kind of the new priests, man. Wow. And, and, uh, mm -hmm. and they're just, uh, they spew a bunch of gibberish oftentimes and spew some truth, but they're not able to be assailed. We're not able to say, is this science right or good or profitable in any kind of way? These idiots can't tell us whether or not it's better to use margarine or butter. <laughs> and so, you know, we're talking about the, the recent studies we've seen in that sort of thing. We're talking about gene editing, implanting chips, and transfusing synthetic blood. That mm -hmm. was kind of the, right. the stuff that we were reading and yep. talking about. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are concerned about what that's going to do. And and, uh, and people are surprised by the extent of the public public's worries. That was uh, some yes. of the things we read. Mm -hmm. That's stunning to me. How is that surprising to anyone? Because I think it might have been to you guys, and I want to riff that, because I was uh, the public worries are my worries. I'm not happy at all about these idiots. There is no regulation. There's no governing bodies. I'm not even sure there's a concept of ethics that would be uh, a capital E ethics in any way that we would even know. And, and this could be one person making these decisions. I think that's one thing that terrifies us all. And then the last thing is to talk about a sort of a Gattaca-infused right. meme, yes. which is forget about the space race, forget about the arms race. It is inevitable to have a gene race. You cannot not augment yourself once it starts, unless mm -hmm. the unintended consequences of whatever you're doing. I mean, we have these single gene things that we may be able to attack, maybe sickle cell anemias, maybe some things like that. But everything else, man, is tipping over dominoes that we don't have a clue about, we don't have any sense about. So, you know, it's there's a, there's a, a line in Mr. Robot, and it's where he essentially says that smart people don't scare me, it's, it's powerful people, essentially, that scare me. That's the thing. And, and I think that smart people tend to be desperate to be smart. They're filling a hole in them that they, um, and they're not as smart necessarily as they think, but it makes you happier and, in a sense, more godlike. And to me, more dangerous because I'm not the one doing it. So I'm afraid in a lot of ways that other people are. Jesus would want us to be happy with ourselves with the way we are and with each other is the way we are, I think. Um, I also think that if Jesus could use CRISPR to make sure kids wouldn't have spina bifida, he'd flick that switch. <laughs> so I'm not sure how to, how to reconcile that. Um, you know, but we're not promised tomorrow. The world has fallen. It's a veil of tears. And we may need to become more comfortable with us as really imperfect fallen creatures than spending quite as much time trying to reinvent ourselves, particularly when we don't know what the hell we're doing. Well said. Round <laughs> <Roundhouse. Roundhouse. laughs> <laughs> Take a deep breath. <laughs>
<laughs> Dr. Zen. I will take the handoff from the greatest of all dystopian sinners over here. The eloquent, eloquent explanation. Yeah, you know, I, I agree that we're kind of like kids with machine guns in, in this situation. It's, it's, it's pretty hairy. It's pretty dicey. So great possibility, great potential, and great potential for harm, too. Didn't Dolly just turn 30, the cloned sheep from way back, just this past week? Or her cousins or something like that. Or all of the above. Her and her clone, right? They're all cloned, right? So it's it goes to the point of uh, great public terror around the potential consequences of cloning back then, which have not come to bear. It was not baked into some kind of kind of flaw. But uh, the 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 concerns obviously something real. Um, Buddhist tradition, the Zen tradition specifically, has a a tradition of um, actually becoming intimate with our tools, our human made tools, and using tool use as a way of becoming mindful of our human existence and using that as a way to wake up from our habitual habit patterns, rakes, pots and pans in the kitchen. Um, You know, the Zen masters are very traditionally uh, gardeners and cooks and ferrymen just using the tools and the boats and the vehicles to operate society in a social way. Um, so ideally, you know, I think a Buddhist perspective would be to, to do the same thing with these technological tools that were given. I think the problem is that they're, they're so powerful in terms of intervening into our human intimacy, into our human connection and usurping our human agency that they run the risk of diminishing our humanity and not being opportunities for us to explore and expand our humanity and our heart. So I think that is the wager of this great venture we're making into technological supremacy and technological capability is how to, how to build these tools and expand them. And I agree with you, Jeff, it's going to happen. There's just going to be snowballing power because we're power seeking creatures and it's going to be more and more and more. And I would say instead of like trying to, we certainly want to understand the consequences and the uses of all of this technology, but more important, we have to grow our human capacities and our human hearts. We have to become wiser people. We have to become more compassionate people. And that will naturally lead us to use these tools in a more compassionate way. But don't look to technology to make us better people. Look to our humanity to make us better people. And then maybe we'll, we will meet the power of the technology with our own humanity and hearts. Appreciate it. Well said as well. Great wow. reflections on a very complex topic, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, in depth. And it's great to get the different lenses through which we see these very complex issues in modern society. Jeff, you mentioned Mr. Robot. That actually is our wrap-up issue for the uh, episode today. We're going to just want to ask you guys, you know, the, the first first season was brilliant. Can season two live up to the, the brilliance of the first season? I know we all enjoyed season one and season two is at, at the time of recording here, um, about halfway through or underway in the initial episodes. But uh, give me your take on what we might be looking at. Dr. Zen? Yeah, I got turned on to first season of Mr. Robot by you. Loved it. Fiendishly entertaining. Fantastic. Looking forward to the second season. It's one of the many fascinating things about it for me is that the, the schizophrenia of the main character and how that perfectly maps to the schizophrenia that a lot of these, uh, that, our, that our society is basically experiencing right now. It, it's kind of a completely crazy culture with a lot of our best instincts kind of disowned or misunderstood and it comes out. So it's, it's fantastic. I'm looking forward to season two. 
Well, in my answer, I think to can it sustain the brilliance of the first seasons? Of course it can. Um, because of what we've seen in television history. Uh, you know, Mr. Robot, to me, is kind of like a fight club for for code monkeys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and a digital version of Fear of the Freemasons or the Illuminati or Bilderberg. <laughs> or, and, and these television programs are so talent-centric, and we're in such a golden age right now, that um, can they defy a goal, uh, regression to the mean? And absolutely. You know, we know that shows can have sustained brilliance for significant periods of time. And in recent little examples, I think Breaking Bad was very well done for a long time, and Sopranos, and 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 of course, you know, you go back to like an All in the Family, or uh, uh, um, and of course, The Bionic Woman. Um, those are all <laughs> TV shows that were able to be brilliant for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm joking, although I, did. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think how long Bionic Woman around. Maybe two, two at best. Lindsay Wagner had a very special part in my heart as a young man, and so maybe I, I shoehorned that in there. But you know, I think longevity for television. And you look at the longest running shows and that sort of, they're dominated for the most part by, by recent films like, um, like uh, or television shows like uh, South Park and, and, um, and Simpsons and those sorts of things. And then some classic Westerns like Gunsmoke and Bonanza and that sort of thing. But um, the, the shows that seem to be able to have a lot of longevity in the past have a small universe. Uh, consistent in small universe, like a family or a room from the honeymooners to the to the front room of all in a family, uh, to be essentially constrained in a home or, or a bar at Cheers or a Seinfeld in an apartment building or, or MASH in an army tent or Big Bang universe. It's, there's this bigger universe, I think, makes it trickier for Mr. Robot. And Mr. Robot seems to me very compelling, maybe some, something closer to uh, the script of like a prison break. Where there's just there are mm. only so many prisons you can break out of and keep getting assigned <laughs> to. How right, right. the tale is told. How long can you do that? Right. You do that? And so you know, once you bring down or don't bring down or kind of bring down or whatever, um, then where can you go from that? So the idiosyncratic narrative, who knows? Maybe it'll go on forever. But I think that it makes it uh, more of a punctuated sort of of, of moment like. The, like a True Detective and some of these films that are almost designed to be only one or two seasons. And can are we going to see more of Luther or Sherlock or some of these other, or Peaky Blinders? Those seem to be sustainable, and yet they're only two or three seasons. We don't know if we're ever going to see anything else. So television's changed, where you were trying so desperately to extend that narrative throughout history. So, you know, I think that it's a, I, I'm bothered a little bit by Mr. Robot and some of those thoughts. You know, I do think it's sometimes too easy to look funny and smart and clever when you're stunningly cynical and, and perhaps insane. <laughs> right. and, and, you know, and, and, and again on this, you know, scientists, scientists, coders, computer scientists are the new priests. They proclaim the new gospel and right thinking when they might be completely mad and insane. Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> so um, I think that we can have our hopes. We can be hopeful. But uh, I'm not sure we uh, we have 27 seasons of Mr. Robot like the Simpsons. We may not <laughs> want 27 seasons. Fair <laughs> Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you guys very much. Great perspective. Um, give me, uh, Jeff, any final thoughts on the, on the week? Yeah, I had a question for you guys a little sure. bit because I had one of these moments that I have all the time that might be a bit of a human motion. And that is when I discover a domain that needs to be registered that's so brilliant, so breathtaking that I'm certain no human being has ever thought of it before, and I am going to have all the riches accrue upon me. Uh, so, you know, the other, I was thinking this, uh, I heard someone joke about TV, and I was like, boob tube. 
I should register that. And you look at it and someone like working in an ARPA registered it a million years ago because not only was it funny in the late 50s and 60s, but of course now it's super naughty and you can make a lot of money off it. And so I just, uh, it, was a, it was a bad come down for me to realize that I was way late to that party. Oh, sorry to hear. Sorry to hear. I do own yeah. the very valuable uh, property Scarotopia. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. What about you guys? You just got to write a series around that. I have I tried to register. No, I did register one, which I've held on to for 20 years. It's Bridgepole. And I thought it was a brilliant see, see how good that is, how how resonant that is, and uh, nobody nobody has done anything with it, including myself. But I had one. A disappointment was a year ago when I had this idea for a project to ask a hundred thousand people what they would tell themselves at half their current age, and I was going to compile it on a website and call the project. If I knew then, would I know now? So oh, I thought, of co- who's gonna, who has have registered that domain? If I knew then what I know now, .net, .org, .com, all of them already taken. Yeah. Horrible. So actually, I did decide to turn it into an acronym, and I thought it would be, I mean, really yeah, roll off the tongue. Easy. I-I-K-T-W-I-K-N. <laughs> wow. I- Twicken. Yeah, trip right off the tongue. So I've got Ictwicken.com. Oh, nice. Well, uh, my, my domain reflection really actually overlaps with you. This is unplanned, but uh, your your uh, example there was if I knew then what I know now. And um, my reflection is just that I, I have a close friend who you guys know as well, who in an early company registered the domain name if.com, if.com, because of a company he had. Two now, letters. you guys may know that the two-letter domain names were snapped up immediately. They were gobbled up. And so to have any two-letter domain name was very powerful, very important, and probably at this stage very loose. Well, this was so early in the internet era that he let that domain name lapse before understanding its value. And it was... If only he hadn't done that. If only he had not done that, it would be a a great source of... uh, (laughs) Wait a minute. If only.com is... If only. Nobody would... Nobody's (laughs) done that. (laughs) Right, right. Well... If only. <laughs> well, we have our regrets, but hopefully one of them is not that we spent the last 30 minutes talking into this microphone. We hope there's people out there that listen to it, enjoy it, and come back for the next installment. This will be a weekly podcast, um, and it'll cover topics very similar to what we've covered today, technology, culture, a little bit of politics, although it's not politics-centric, um, and reflections from different points of view. So uh, mainly just uh, males of our age, though. <laughs> Pretty much, we know what our target <laughs> audience is. To, we but might have to switch that up a little bit. I like it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's exploratory, and uh, you, when you when you explore in the best of senses, you don't know exactly what you're going to find, right? <laughs> Thank you guys very much for your time today, and we'll see you next week on Doctor Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. Love you guys. Love you guys. Bye. Bye bye.